0: Those videos have been fun. Good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, I'm feeling a little bit conflicted about the Bears game today, so I thought maybe you could help me a little bit. Um, I've been a lifelong Bears fan. I used to sit in my father's lap, literally, and watch games when I was very young and have loved the team. But today they're playing the Washington Redskins, and the quarterback of the Redskins is the son of a lifelong friend of mine, um, the quarterback's name is Kurt Cousins, and he comes from a great family. He's a devoted Christ follower. So I want him to do well, but I'm really torn by the city I love and friends. So I'm going to ask you in a second to help me vote, you know, which way my allegiance should go. So you get to vote for either city or friends. How many of you say I should go with my friends? That I should... One fan of Kurt is out there. How many of you say city? That's kind of where I am, so go Bears. <laughs> Hope he doesn't get injured or anything, but other than that, go Bears. All right, uh, to get us started, I want to watch another video together. It got a lot of play last week. My guess is many of you have seen it. It's actually a um, commercial, a television commercial from Germany, so it's in subtitles. Um, it stirred up a lot of controversy um, this past week, so take a look at this. I never told you. Hallo Papa, ich bin's. <lacht> Hallo Opa! Ich wollte nur kurz anrufen und dir Bescheid geben. Wir werden es Weihnachten dieses Jahr wieder nicht schaffen. Wir versuchen es nächstes Jahr und dann klappt es ganz bestimmt. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Papa. Bis bald. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Opa. So you. There goes a day. There goes a week. So many goals are to me. The more I did, the less I cared The more I miss the love you've shared If life is a song, somehow it's sad I don't know the words without your dad You've been on my mind all the time And I'm missing you Home used to be just some walls that I know but the truth of that home means nothing without you. Wie hätte ich euch denn sonst alle zusammenbringen sollen? Okay, so viewer reaction to this video ranged from that is so sweet and it made me cry to that is the most manipulative stunt (laughs) I've ever seen and it's wrong on every level. And I could kind of tell in the room, you're landing in different places. I found it quite manipulative. But actually, it did underscore for me how desperately we want to be with people we love during the Christmas season. In fact, uh, USA Today posted a survey uh, last week, and this is what they said. 87% of Americans would rather spend the holiday with loved ones and skip presents than get gifts but spend the holidays alone. Don't know if you agree with that or not, but 87%. So today, we're going to explore together how much your Christmas presents matters. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of presents you wrap, but you personally, fully showing up. Not everybody believes it matters all that much. Uh, When my husband Warren was about middle school age, his uh, small little family would go to his aunt and uncle's on Christmas Day. And there was nothing appealing about that to Warren. There was nobody his age that was going to be there. And everything on television seemed a lot more interesting. So he would fake an illness of some kind and tell his mom, I'm just not feeling up to it. And this happened year after year, so much so that when they would go to his Aunt Lucille's and they would just start to say, Warren couldn't be here, she'd say, I know, I know, he's under the weather, and wink a little bit. And that's continued to this day. He still tries to get out of stuff. But that is his plan. (laughs) Um, Gatherings with family and friends and even office workers, I think, stir up in most of us a lot of mixed feelings. None of us likely comes from a totally healthy family or a great work environment necessarily, and maybe you worry about how you're going to engage with those people, who you're going to talk to. Um, Maybe you actually dread some of these events. The Wall Street Journal recently featured an entire front page article about how to have an exit plan from conversations that you don't want to be in um, at these (laughs) gatherings. You know, if you're mingling and you're standing next to someone and they start talking about their latest dental procedure or something like that, how do you get out of it? And they suggest you don't exit by saying, you probably have to go now, which is probably not the case. But they give a lot of practical suggestions for extricating yourself pleasantly. At my house, um, I use something like this. Maybe you do too. These place cards with people's names on it for Bill and my mother Peggy and my daughter Johanna. And and I guess it's because I'm controlling, but I decide that I want to decide where everyone's going to sit. And especially when we have a really big group and more than one table, I try to mix things up according to gender and age and family unit. And that's all great. So the night before, I set them all up. Then I discover that my daughters or my husband have wandered around, and they've made a few changes, uh, because they don't want to sit next to that person who chews too loud or has extreme politics. We all feel very strongly about being with some of these folks during the holidays, and some of us, I think, just want to survive. There was a Saturday Night Live sketch maybe you saw during the Thanksgiving season where a family got together and they were talking very extreme political opinions. And their solution seemed to be that a little girl would go over and push play on the Adele song, Hello. And then they would all lip sync it and all would be well. It was a magic tool. So you might want to have that ready for your gathering. (laughs) Which gatherings uh, do you still have ahead of you in the next couple weeks? You probably already had a few, but do you have time with friends, co-workers, family coming up. Well today, I want to offer you some very practical tools to maximize your Christmas presents. We're gonna leave here today prepared to make those gatherings count, to very intentionally raise the level of connection. You know, it's possible for you to come home from those events and not feel like it was a total waste of time or very superficial, everybody just talking about dumb stuff, maybe you could actually leave and feel like it mattered. What if we looked at every person that we're with this holiday season as a divine appointment from God, full of potential? We find a tremendous example of Christmas presents in the story we began reading last Sunday in the book of Luke. Jarrett mentioned the relationship between Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, and I want to look in that story a little deeper. So grab the Bible in front of you or under your seat. looks like this one and uh, turn to page 715, um, this is Luke chapter 1. And while you're finding it, I want to give you a little background. Elizabeth was married to a man named Zachariah, who was a priest. And the Bible tells us that both of them were very godly in the sight of God. They were righteous people. But the pain that they lived with, the sad part of their story, was that Elizabeth could not conceive a child. And now she is past childbearing age. And in that era, the lack of children was generally considered to indicate that God was punishing you in some way. People looked down on childless couples with a lot of disdain. So this angel named Gabriel startles Zechariah. I think any angel visitation would startle us. And he lets him know that his prayers have been heard, that Elizabeth will bear a son and they should call him John. This young man would become a prophet, and he would announce the coming of the Messiah. He had a very important assignment. Well, Zechariah is so stunned by this news that he responded with some cynicism and some doubt. So the angel gives him nine months to think it over. He says, you know what? I'm going to take away your ability to talk because you didn't have faith to believe God with this news, and so you won't be able to speak until this birth. Now, right about now, some of you who are married are fantasizing. What would it be like if my spouse couldn't talk for nine whole months? Good, bad? I don't know. So Zechariah goes home, and I imagine him kind of doing charades to explain all of this news to his wife. And then we see another visit of the angel Gabriel, and this time it's to Mary. He's going to tell her the news that she will be the mother of Jesus, the Son of God. And as we saw last week, she says, How can this be, since I am a virgin?" And the angel explains to her God's plan. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 36, chapter 1, verse 36. Even Elizabeth, says the angel, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Pause right there for a second. No word from God will ever fail. That's not just true for these people long ago. That's true for you and me. If God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. No word from God for you and for me will ever fail. So Mary responds with great humility. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried, notice that, hurried, to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And then, as you can see in that passage, Mary responds with a beautiful praise song to God. That's what worship is. When God does something, when God proves himself faithful, when God shows up, we respond. And that's why we come together on Sundays and sing together. She is responding in worship. Now skip down to verse 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. I love this story. We need to remember that this was an era with no texting, no cell phones, no email, uh, no snail mail even, no Facebook updates. So this is the way Mary finds out the news that her cousin's already in her sixth month of pregnancy, from this angel. And I believe that it was one of uh, uh, an extension of God's incredible grace and love that He made sure that the angel told this news to Mary. I believe that because I think God did not want her to feel so alone. He also knew that Elizabeth might feel alone with a husband who who couldn't speak. And so these two women are going to come together. Mary hurried. She hurried to visit her cousin. She longs to be with the one person on the planet who would get her, who would understand what she's going through. And so they were together for three months, the first trimester of Mary's pregnancy, and the third trimester for Elizabeth. I've spent some time imagining those three months. And what do you think those two women talked about while they were together? I believe because they were both going through pregnancy, and even though Elizabeth was much older, they talked about things like morning sickness and cravings and their growing belly. They probably passionately discussed vital questions like formula versus nursing or (laughs) disposable diapers versus cloth. And they probably did some very simple tasks together, like sewing baby clothes. And together, they would rejoice at the wonder of it all. The divine mystery of being chosen to carry these two sons who would usher in God's love and hope to a broken world. They would imagine the future of their boys, John and Jesus. Is there any doubt about how much their presence mattered to one another? I believe these two women model for us what it means to show up. What a big deal it is, actually, that we show up. How can we give our Christmas presents? I'm going to give you four dimensions of showing up. The first one is going to seem very obvious, but we have to show up with our feet. You can't uh, not be there, or else you can't have your Christmas presents. When Warren and I were uh, young parents, we, were, um, having, we had these two little girls, two little toddlers. I was working at a place that had an annual Christmas party. And it was kind of a big deal, and you had to dress up. And there were about 250 people who were going to be there. And the first part was food and mingling, and then there was a little program after that. Well, the night approached, and we had a babysitter all set up. But honestly, neither of us really wanted to go. We were exhausted. And as I look around this room, some of you might find yourself in December, on December 13th, a little exhausted because there's so much to do. Everything is heightened. Both of us worked at jobs where there was a lot of year end stuff going on. Some of you are facing that at your work. We had family obligations and these little children. We hadn't had a date night in a really long time. So Warren tried to pretend he was sick. And I said, no, we got to go. (laughs) So we show up at this party. And we do the first part. We're mingling with everybody. We're having the food. And then it was time to move to this other room. And we both looked at each other, and we birthed a magnificent plan. We said, you know what? We've already made our appearance. Everybody's already seen us. And we still have time to catch a movie. (laughs) We haven't been to a movie. Oh, we almost started crying. We haven't been to a movie for so long. So like stealth people we were, we snuck out of there, we giggled all the way to the car, and we went to a movie. We thought we got away with it. The next morning I received a phone call from a teammate. She said, you know that part two program thing? I said, yeah, well, they were going to have a big game, and the host was randomly calling up certain staff members to participate in the game, and your name was called. Where were you? said, oh, Warren wasn't feeling well, and we had to go home. (laughs) Nailed. I got nailed, absolutely. But you can't have your presence unless uh, you physically show up. And some of us physically show up. We physically show up. We're in the room, we're at the table, we're at the party, but we're not fully there. So these next gifts of presence are vital. The first one is our eyes. Our eyes. When people speak to you, They are receiving lots of messages about how interested you are. Have you ever been talking to someone and their eyes dart to the other side of the room and you can tell they're kind of looking for someone maybe more important to talk to or they do one of these with their phone and yeah, uh uh-huh, and they're checking their texts? Eye contact is one of the surest indicators that we're interested in the other person. Dr. Julius Fast wrote a book called Body Language, and he says that prolonged eye contact is the most important gesture of all. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jeannie challenged us, when we're with someone, to put these devices away, to turn them off, to not even be able to look and see the screen, so that we can give eye contact. It's vitally important. We're going to see a lot of people this Christmas season. You're going to see a lot of people, but you know what? You need to really see them. It's a difference. It's a big difference. One of my closest friends is a woman named Corinne, and she is a master of eye contact. I think that's why she has a lot of friends. But when you speak with Corinne, you have her full, absolutely undivided attention. When I talk with her, she makes me feel like I am the most important person in her universe. But you know what? Truly seeing people is about more than just eye contact. What if we could see people the way God sees them? Not just seeing them as an obligation, or someone to be envious of, or someone to impress, but as a valuable human being, made in God's image. Each one with their own strengths and struggles. Each one with fears and dreams, ideas and feelings. And yes, each one with their own quirks. Let's try to really see people this Christmas. This leads me to the third gift of your presence, which is your eyes. Excuse me, your ears. Paul Tillich once said that the first duty of love is to listen. We learned from Jeannie about the incredible gift of holding space for someone. The story is told of a woman who hated parties. She said, before going to a social engagement, I'd do all of this self-talk. I'd tell myself, now try hard, be lively, say bright things, talk, talk. But to keep up that front, I'd end up drinking a lot, and I'd come home depressed. I just didn't seem to fit. But now, she says, before going to a party, I just tell myself to listen with affection to anyone who talks to me, to be in their shoes when they talk, to try not to argue or change the subject. My attitude is, tell me more. This person is showing me his soul. It is a little dry and meager and full of small talk just now, but presently he will begin to show his true self, and then he will be wonderfully alive. Not surprisingly, this woman is now a magnet for people. She's learned the skills. Alan McGuinness, who writes on Friendship, says this, the secret of being interesting is to be interested. Haven't you noticed the people you find the most interesting? are the ones who have expressed an interest in you. I served throughout the week as a leadership coach. And when I think about it, my job is essentially to listen and to try to listen well. People like pay me to listen. Many of them are out of state, so I do this with Skype. Uh, One of the calls I had last week on Tuesday was with a young woman leader that I've really come to love. Uh, She's been uh, transferred from living in Houston her whole life. She's 30 years old, living in Houston to a tiny little town in northern Wisconsin, where she's working at a church. So she's in a new city, if you can even call it a city. It's really small. um, Lots of new relationships and friends, and new place to live, and just recently, a new boyfriend. So we were talking for about an hour. I was sitting with my computer on my lap and my dog on my shoulder. And I tried to fully engage with her and look in her eyes. And listen well. And I have a lot to learn to get better at this. But I'm struck each time at how deeply all of us long for somebody to hear our stories. Listening well is actually rooted in the scriptures. Um, we're told to be slow to speak, slow to speak, and quick to listen. And then look at these words from the Apostle Paul. In the book of the Philippians, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So what would it look like if you and I went to our gatherings or our encounters or even a conversation down the hall with someone with a greater desire to listen than to be heard? What if we saw spiritual potential? In these encounters, maybe even throwing up a quick prayer as you're driving somewhere or walking to an event and actually saying, God, would you please help me to choose to pay more attention to other people than to how I'm coming across or to my own words and my own stories? Would you help me to be a fully engaged listener? Would you help me to look at people the way you actually look at people? You know, Jesus was a master at listening. He was remarkably attentive to all kinds of people. He talked to lepers and he listened to Roman officers and religious officials and prostitutes and fishermen and politicians. He listened to elderly women and little children, to lawyers and invalids. And one way that we're going to see that Jesus listened well leads us to the last dimension I want to explore with you. Jesus showed up with great questions. And that's another way we give our presence. He knew how to ask just the right question, one that would reveal the heart of a person. Let me give you a few quick examples. Jesus asked his disciples one day, who do you say I am? To a blind beggar, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Might seem like it was obvious, but he wanted to know, what do you want me to do for you? To a lost woman that he met at a watering hole, Jesus simply said, would you please give me a drink? And that began a conversation, a profound conversation that led to complete transformation in her heart. To an invalid, Jesus asked, do you want to get well? After washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper, modeling for them servant leadership, he looked at every one of them and he said, do you understand what I have done for you? In response to Pilate's question as to whether he was the king of the Jews, Jesus lobbed a question right back. He said, is that your idea, or did others talk to you about me? And to Mary at the empty tomb, Jesus asked, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? It can be argued quite vigorously that Jesus was one of the most skillful, if if not the most skillful question posers that ever lived He knew that a tremendous question would open up a doorway of conversation, would stir things up. And he also knew it was far more effective than always telling people things, preaching at them. So I wanna give you a few tools today for generating deeper conversation. The goal of asking good questions is to express value to the other person. And every single one of us longs to be known. There's nothing worse, I think, than leaving a family gathering or a party with friends or an office deal and thinking, that was such a waste of time, and nobody knows me. Nobody knows that I've had a really hard month. Or nobody knows that I just started a new hobby. Or nobody knows that I love my new boss. Or nobody knows that I just broke up with my girlfriend. If you go to a gathering and no one knows anything real, and meaningful about you, you leave feeling very, very empty. But if we are armed with good questions, we can avoid just talking about the bulls and the Blackhawks and the bears and the weather and the food. And we can go to some little bit deeper places. We're going to be hosting a, a smaller group this year on Christmas Day, but one of the people coming is my niece Eliza. She's 28 years old, and I haven't seen her in a couple of years because she moved out to Utah. I would really love to rise above the small talk with Eliza. So here's some of the tools I intend to have ready. First of all, most of the good questions you're going to come up with will occur to you in the moment. This is a skill that people who study improvisation talk about. The key to improvisation is listening well, and then knowing where to go next and how to respond. I know that Eliza started graduate school this year, so I can explore with her how that's going. And then you can follow up with someone and simply say, can you tell me more about that, whatever they just said. But I'd also like to give you a list of specific questions that could maybe get things going. You don't need to write these down, because we're going to have them on our website um, for you. Uh, I'm not suggesting that you copy them and put them in your pocket and pull them out and study (laughs) in the moment. That would be very weird and awkward. Um, But I am hoping that you will begin to get some ideas Uh, some good questions and you might have a few of these ready. I've collected these over the years from friends and I've made some of them up and uh, some of them go deeper than others and it obviously depends on the person you're with and how well you know them. But here's 12 examples for the 12 days of Christmas. We'll offer even more than those as bonus on the website. Uh, First of all, my friend Stan likes to ask people, what are you keenly interested in? You might not use those exact words, but he, he realizes... Yeah, some of you are going, I would never say that in a million years. Um, but everybody is really fascinated by something, and they love to talk about it. So this is a way to explore that. What was a highlight for you in 2015? What was your biggest challenge in 2015? Who is your closest friend? I love to ask this one to older people. What is one Christmas tradition from your youth that you most treasure? They love to talk about that. What energizes you? What drains you? When you were growing up, here's a a spiritual kind of question. When you were growing up, what was your picture of God? We all had a certain picture of God growing up. Most of them weren't very accurate. What is your favorite thing to do for fun? Before the age of 18, who in your life loved you irrationally? What is the best vacation you've ever had and why was it so great? What was your favorite age in life so far and why? What are you most grateful for this year? So these are going to be on the Soul City website slash Christmas questions, again with a bunch more. But the big idea is just simply these are tools for us to be more fully present with a desire to know that person better. And whether your conversation is just a few minutes or longer than that, sprinkle your encounter with questions that are appropriate to the moment, to your personality and your style, and to the person that you're with. You will honor someone if you show up with good questions. I also have another exercise that I would only recommend if you're with a group of people who know each other pretty well. This could be immediate family. It could be a group of friends that you get together with. And it might even be post-Christmas. Uh, I've done this sometimes on New Year's Eve with some people. But one time I took my team that I worked with uh, out for a Christmas lunch, and I said, we're not giving each other a physical presence that we open up, but I have an exercise that I'd like to engage in with you. We're going to go around the table, and one by one, I want you to look each other in the eye and tell them, what gift would you give them that's intangible? You could give them anything that can't be opened, but it's intangible and it's a gift that you think would be meaningful. So, for example, one person looked at somebody and said, I would give you the gift of confidence. I want to see you have more, be brave this year. Someone looked at someone else and said, I know this has been one of the hardest years you've ever had, and I would give you the gift of peace and of knowing that Jesus is with you and for you during this season someone looked at someone else and said, I would give you the gift of seeing yourself accurately because I don't think you see yourself the way God sees you and the way all of us see you. Someone else said, I would give you the gift of laughter because I think you take yourself so seriously and every once in a while I'd love to see you just throw your head back and laugh. And we engaged in that and it was a very loving exercise and it might be one uh, that you would consider As we close, I want to tell you about an experience I had 26 years ago uh, this month that taught me a lesson that I've held to ever since about the power of showing up. I have just one uh, lifelong friend. Her name is Polly. We met when we were 10 years old. She was born five days before me. I like to tell her she's five days older than me. I remind her of that often. And we've been through really all of life together, school and church. And we were both in each other's weddings and after she got married she moved to the buffalo area and she still lives there today she had a child before i did she had a little boy and then she had a second son whose name was danny and when danny was born they knew he had some issues with his heart and they said a little while down the road we're going to need to do an operation and repair some of the way his heart is structured Um but The operation date came along, and he was 18 months old by that time, and it was not expected to be life-threatening. The doctors were very optimistic. Uh, So they went in there, and they discovered that there was a lot more wrong with the way his heart was structured than they knew. And they did their best uh, to repair it. But a few hours after the operation, on the recovery table, Danny died at 18 months. So my friend Polly called me not long after that, and we wept together on the phone. And I was a brand-new mom. I had had a a daughter two months earlier, and I was kind of messed up. I had a little postpartum stuff going on. I didn't know how to nurse well. I was just kind of a mess. And Polly said this to me. She said, you know, Nance, after we talked a long time, she said... um, You don't need to come. It was one of these really snowy Decembers. She said, between Chicago and Buffalo, that would be just a terrible trip, and you have this new baby. She said, I'm surrounded by my extended family. They've all flown in. She said, we have a great church, and I knew she did. We have a church family that's here with us. You and I will see each other soon, but please don't feel any pressure to come. So I hung up the phone, and I thought, she's right. This would be really, really hard. But moments later, and I believe it was the voice from God, I thought, no, that's not right. I have to go. I have to go. So I talked to Warren, and we packed up our car and our little baby. We drove through terrible roads and weather. I was trying to nurse her in the car. I still remember that. But we arrived in the evening, and everybody was gathered at Polly's home, filled with people who had come to grieve with them before the funeral the next day. And then we saw each other. I saw her face across the room. And we locked eyes. And she came running to me. And we threw our arms around each other and cried. And that's when I knew my presence mattered more than I knew ever knew. Showing up counts. Being there for one another. When in doubt, the rest of my life since then, I've had this mantra, when in doubt, show up. Now, most of you will likely not be with someone in the next week or so in that deep of grief, although some of you might be. But you will be with some people who feel a little lonely, who have had a difficult year, people for whom your presence, your encouragement could really matter. These encounters, I believe, are divine assignments. I believe that God sees you and me, and he says, she's the only one who, who could do this right now. He's the only neighbor that person has who could knock on the door and make sure that they're okay and that they're not completely alone this season. There is someone that only you can extend the love and hope and grace and joy of Christmas to. So I want to give us just a moment to bow our heads and see whose name might come to your mind, who God might prompt you to think of, or a gathering that you're anticipating that still hasn't happened, and choose in this moment to tell God, I wanna be intentional. I wanna fully show up. Would you bow your heads, please? You could be thinking of a neighbor in your building or down the street, a coworker, a relative, a friend, What name comes to your mind who you could show up for this year? Father, thank you for these names that I believe you have put in our minds and hearts. And I pray that we will pledge right now that we will actually show up for these folks. Father, that we'll be fully present with our eyes and our ears and our good questions. That we won't miss any divine assignment you have for us this season. I pray, Father, that you would use us as your agents of hope and joy and peace for a broken world thank you for trusting us with these assignments. Help us to do our part, God. Help us to really believe that our Christmas presence matters more than we know. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, who was fully present for us, who came to this earth as a baby, who we celebrate this season. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.